Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for this edition of Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. I'm Christina Cuthbertson. I'm the Communications Manager and Assistant Curator at the Southern Alberta Art Gallery, and I have the pleasure of being your moderator for today. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce to you today uh, Rachel Notley, MLA. Uh, Rachel grew up in Fairview, Alberta, and she's one of three children of the NDP leader, Grant Notley, and his wife, Sandy. Rachel holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from the University of Alberta and a law degree from Osgoode Hall Law School. In 2002, Notley moved to Edmonton and has since held positions at the National Union of Public and General Employees, Athabasca University, Labor sorry, and as a labor relations officer for the United Nurses of Alberta. She was elected MLA in the, uh, for Edmonton Strathcona in the 2008 provincial election. And prior to that, she held a lengthy um, legal career focused on labor law, workers' compensation, advocacy, and workplace health and safety issues. Rachel currently lives in, the, in Edmonton's old Strathcona neighborhood along with her husband, Lou, and two children, Ethan and Sophie. And please join me in welcoming Rachel Motley. Thank you very much, Christina, for that uh, wonderful introduction. I couldn't have written it better myself. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I did write it. Uh, <laughs> actually, someone else, I think, may have written it. But uh, nonetheless, it's pretty accurate. Um, I first of all I'd like to begin by uh, thanking uh, the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs for the invitation uh, to uh, speak with you today. I've uh, spent years since I moved back to Alberta from BC, uh, hearing about this organization, hearing about these lunches, and always thinking, "Hmm, I got to get myself." there somehow. How can I get a speaking gig? And so then when this invitation came, I was very pleased at the opportunity to be able to come today. And I want to say I do think it's amazing that it's been more than 40 years of um, public engagement in Lethbridge that has been facilitated by this organization. And might I say that there's another organization that's slightly younger than yours, um, roughly 40 years. And I would say that this organization has made a much greater contribution to uh, the development of broad and uh, well-informed public discussion and political debate um, than that other nameless organization. So uh, congratulations to all of you for your participation and continued support of um, SACPAW. I don't know if people like it or not when you actually use the idiot, the that short version. Excellent. Okay, good. Um, so I've been asked to speak today, and I have to say I haven't actually timed out my comments. So I, I have a really well-organized presentation that may take 10 minutes or may take an hour and a half. So we'll see how long it takes me to get through this. Um, and, uh, you know, let's see. I've got about 20 minutes left, I think. So, um, uh, and if I don't get all the way through my comments, hopefully we'll have a chance in the question and answer for me to go into some more detail. Um, so I've been asked or was asked 
in the invitation to speak today about why people in Alberta, why we, quite frankly, because it's not them, it's us, it's all of us, why do we appear to vote against what might be characterized as our own best interests in this province? Why does that happen? Well, it's an interesting question, and I wrestled a bit with it because I wasn't sure that I wanted to spend a whole bunch of time talking about uh, why the Tories win and everyone else doesn't. I'm not sure that's really the message that I want to leave people with. Um, but uh, I'll start by uh, talking a little bit about just quickly reviewing what I'm sure most of us agree on, but nonetheless, why it is I think that uh, um, the conservative history in this province is not in the best interest for the majority of Alberta's um, working and middle-income families and their, their children, um, and, and why it is that that needs to change. And uh, so I don't want to take a lot of time, because sh- I know this is a very, very well-informed audience, but it's always helpful to sort of set the stage a little bit. Um, so just a little bit of a snapshot of, of what's been going on in Alberta, even in the last year or so. Um, Just a few months ago, we had $100 million taken from our education system. And in explanation for that, well, originally the Minister of Education denied that he'd done that. And then ultimately somebody showed him his budget figures and he realized, oh, well, okay, maybe I did. But then he said, you know, we all have to tighten our belts. It's a belt-tightening thing and the best place to start tightening your belts is when you're six. You know, in, in my view, if you're six, learn to start tightening your belts early. And uh, so we were told to tighten our belts. Class sizes have soared. And as was indicated in my introduction, I have two school-age children. And uh, uh, one of them, her class went from 21 children last year to 30 this year. Uh, so don't let anyone tell you that that $100 million reduction d- didn't have a significant impact on the quality of our education in Alberta. And while that happened, in that same period of time, we became aware of the fact that the government, while we were all tightening our belts and we were teaching our kids how to tighten their belts in kindergarten and running little belt tightening exercises for them, um, while that was happening, the government had quietly decided to give an additional $900 million of unbudgeted subsidies to the oil and gas industry in this province. And that's above and beyond the billions and billions of dollars that they told us in the budget that they were going to give to them. This was an extra $900 million. So I say that that's not in our collective best interest. Our health care, of course, is not being administered in the way that reflects our collective best interest. Our emergency room wait times are unacceptable. Um, Our shortage of family doctors means that people don't get the care we need. The shortage of nurses and the fact that we've sent them to other provinces means that people don't get the care that they need. Um, The fact that we have uh, less than half the mental health beds in this province of the national average Okay, is an indication that this province has completely abandoned its obligation to provide mental health care to Albertans throughout the province through our public system. Um, the fact that, uh, and that of course goes back to the wait times. The fact that we have no plan to deal with the, our seniors population, our growing seniors population, which is going to need some form of care in the course of the next 10 years. The fact that with the government's own plan, 
which, I mean, we could talk for a long time about why their plan is not correct or why it won't work, but even their own plan, plans for there to be 9,000 seniors without support or care or accommodation in the year 2020. So that's what they're planning on right now. Uh, in terms of the environment, for years they've told us not to worry ourselves over these complicated issues, that we can count on them to work quietly together with industry to keep our environment safe and secure. Yet just last spring, we finally had a report that came out that told us that in fact all these years that the government's given us these assurances, they didn't know what they were talking about. And I don't mean that uh, metaphorically or, or you know, in a name-calling way. I mean that they'd never studied the questions that they were giving us assurances on. So they would say the water was safe, but they'd never tested it. They would say the oil sands were not contributing to uh, the degradation of the water quality, but they'd never tested it. So, in my view, this is the kind of thing that ought to have immediately triggered an apology, at the very least by the Premier, and the resignation of the Minister of Environment. Instead, things just carried on the same. So this kind of thing is not in the collective, short or long-term best interests of Albertans. Finally, I mean, there's so many things, it's really hard for me to, but I just want to touch on this last thing. In the last uh, 15 years, our, the money that we put towards uh, social support, those resources that protect and support our children and families who are at risk, that money has been cut by one-third at the same time that corporate profits in this province have increased by 300%. And many people in this room may, like me, think that that's wrong simply because we have a moral obligation to ensure that no person goes without care and support and food and a roof and opportunities uh, in a province as wealthy as this. But even, even if you are not that person, even if you don't believe that from that perspective, even if you're one of those folks that says it's all about me and how government works for me, most people understand that by undercutting our social services network the way this government has for decade after decade, it undermines the community for everybody. It costs us more in health care. It costs us more in, in, uh, in um, uh, prison costs and, and safety and security, all those things. So from every perspective, this abandonment by the Conservative government is not in our best interests. So... I think that's about 10 minutes. So where does that leave us? And why do people not vote to change this, this situation? Why do we seem to have this government re-elected every time? Well, there's a number of, of ways to explore that. And some of them um, relate to things we can't change. And some of them relate to things we can change. And actually, let me re replace that. Some of them relate to things that will be hard to change not that they can't be changed. And some of them relate to things that we can change. So beginning with that, um, I always found, like when I heard the question, why do Albertans vote against their interests? I think we need to start by reframing that question a bit. Why do we vote against our interests? Why do we vote for someone that doesn't represent us? And we need to remember as activists, as people who are interested in public policy, who are interested in building on the collective and community good, we need to remember that uh, we can't 
expect everybody to be policy analysts and that most people don't vote on the basis of uh, a well-researched university paper about the pros or cons of a particular policy. I've tried. I mean, as, as, a, as a MLA, I've spent lots of times talking in great detail about environmental issues and getting into tremendous detail, and I can see people glazing over. And, and so it's, it's, it's a challenge uh, for, for all of us. And so what we need to do instead is understand that people vote on the basis of values, and they vote on the basis of who they identify with and who is able to convince them that their interests are reflected in uh, what that person is saying to them. So an example, we can say, for instance, that um, you know, oil company royalty payments as a portion of profits are down, and that means we have room to increase our royalty rates in order to properly support public services. Now, that's a, a very a absolutely accurate uh, position to take. However, uh, I think that the other way to say that is it's not fair that oil companies get more while our classrooms get less. One is a value of fairness. The other is a very detailed um, policy analysis. And so for all of us who want to move from understanding what the issues are to getting people to vote on that basis, we need to think about how we're relating to people who we want to have changed their votes, because that's something that Tories have been doing since day one, or close to day one. So we also have to remember that often uh, people who are interested in promoting the public good and the community well-being, often to do that it takes long-term solutions, not short-term solutions. And we're looking at things that collectively improve the situation rather than individually improve the situation. It doesn't individually negate it, but we're talking about collective measures. And that's always a little bit hard. It takes a little bit longer to talk about those policies. But it's something that we need to work hard on doing in a more effective way um, with Albertans. Um, Ultimately, people need to see themselves reflected in their politicians. And the perfect example, uh, you know, we all spent, well, I don't know all of us, I certainly spent a lot of time uh, watching the news after uh, Jack Layton passed and uh, watching the funeral and listening to the comments that were made in, in and around that time. And one of the things that really struck me is that Jack Layton probably wrote five or six books at least, and, uh, and had, was incredibly well-informed on the intricacies of many things about which he spoke. But he was never Dr. Layton. He was always Jack. And I think that's something that we need to remember in terms of appealing to a broad range of Albertans. So what's the other, what are some of the other things that we're up against? That again, and this, this amounts to one of those things that are difficult to change, but not impossible to change. One of them is the fact that we have a government that's been in place for 40 years. What does that do to political debate and political volatility and the potential for change? Well, I would say that unless we're very aware of it, it ends up becoming something that uh, negatively impacts our ability to bring about change. And it does so through, I would suggest, you know, three general processes. First of all, we develop and, and we learn to accept um, a process of intimidation within our province. People who have money and power quietly tell others who might speak out against them that that money and power will be not used 
in their best interest should they speak out. And I can't tell you as a politician, I was elected three and a half years ago, how many representatives or uh, participants uh, in non-government organizations, non-profit organizations, organizations that should be speaking out about the shortcomings in our province's uh, governance who don't because they believe and probably quite rightly that they will lose their government support should they speak out. And that's something that uh, is part of the culture of this province and that has developed uh, every time the Tories win another election. So we need to see that, and we need to say, I'm not going to let myself be cowed by that anymore. If they said no to it in Egypt, we can darn well say no to it here in Alberta. So others, other processes that, are, that the government uses, secrecy. We've heard a lot about that in the last little while. Our outgoing privacy commissioner wrote a scathing report uh, identifying that this government, after 40 years, is probably the most secretive government in the country. And so as members of the public who have a right to find out what our government is actually doing, we have to rely on brown envelopes because the government will not give us access to our information because don't forget it's our information. And... Uh, the leadership candidate, uh, Ted Morton's response to the fact that he's being formally investigated by the Privacy Commissioner for a very clear breach of the law, the, the Freedom of Information and Protection and Privacy law, his laughing response to that is an indication to me of the uh, inbred, uh, deeply held arrogance that the Tories now hold. And so we need to say no to that. And when they say, oh, well, you can't have that privacy concerns, we need to say, you, that's ridiculous. You're protecting yourself and nobody else. Personally, I've had that fight with the government since almost the day I was elected because I've been fighting with them about how they talk about child protection and how they talk about how they have or have not done a good job in terms of child protection. And I continue to have that fight. And we've had uh, national experts look at Al Alberta's system and identify that it is the most closed system in the country, this, is, this being our child protection system, and that they don't share information the way people have come to expect in other jurisdictions. That's got to stop. The third thing, the third thing that this government does, which really cuts down on the ability of the opposition to challenge them, is this notion of insider deals. And we've got a couple good examples of what's happened recently. Uh, about a month ago, I released a brown paper envelope uh, that was slipped under our door that showed how this government had been working behind closed doors with the Tory government in Saskatchewan and the effective Tory liberal government in BC to... Uh, manage public opinion about the safety of fracking operations in Alberta. And it wasn't a question of them doing the research to find out if fracking was safe, which, by the way, is happening in Quebec and Nova Scotia and New York and all these other places are actually doing independent research into the safety of this process. In Alberta and BC and Saskatchewan, we've leapfrogged right over that whole part of the process, and we've moved directly to simply managing public opinion. And they're doing that quietly behind closed doors with CAP, with the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. And they don't they weren't telling us any of it. So these kinds of insider deals make it a bit of a challenge because that's the kind of thing that ought to be transparent to all Albertans, but the only reason we know about it is because 
there was um, a brown paper envelope that someone slipped under our door. Another example is what we are hearing about in the news today, this outrageous situation where talis, um, talisman oil was allowed to use the, uni the University of Calgary as a um, body through which it would fund anti-climate change uh, research and campaigning. It, was, it is corrupt, people. <laughs> I mean, there's no other word for it. It is simply corrupt. And, and that thing, ha that happens as a matter of course in this province. And so when you're up against insider deals, secrecy, and intimidation, it's always a bit of a challenge. Now that, to me, is not an indication of something we can't change. It is something we can change. We just need, it's going to be a little bit hard. That's under the little bit harder to change category. So what's another reason that we struggle. This is really an important one, and this is, um, I'm getting close to the end of my time, so someone start to give me the five minutes when I have to stop. Um, but this is really important to me, and this is something that I've observed, having lived in jurisdictions outside of Alberta, BC, Ontario, and then coming back to Alberta, and it's really something that struck me very clearly right from the very beginning, is that with 40 years of government, of the same government, people who oppose the policies of this government have unfortunately retreated to a place of what is referred to as nonpartisanship. And my view is that when people talk about nonpartisanship, whether they intend to or not, they are in effect supporting the status quo. And that what we need to do in Alberta is we need to take our understanding of these issues, our understanding of what needs to change for us to improve the lives of Albertans, and we need to connect that to the political system within which we live. And people, we live in a parliamentary democracy, and partisanship is, part, is how that works, and we need to connect what we want to have happen to the partisanship and the politics that will make it happen. Because if we don't do that, if we walk away from that, if we cloak ourselves in this concept of nonpartisanship, we walk away from our democracy, we walk away from our democratic system, and we walk away from the potential for change. So this is really, it's quite important to me. And the other point that I like to make often is that there is no group in Alberta that is more partisan than the Tory party of Alberta. It is the most partisan group in the province. So never let them bully you into taking a nonpartisan position because they are the most partisan group. And the perfect example was one that, that I saw played out uh, on TV a couple of days ago when I was, I was doing a, having a discussion on uh, prime time with uh, two people, including the Minister of Labour, over the Workers' Compensation Board and the uh, very anti-worker policies that have uh, uh, evolved in that uh, organization over the last 25, 30 years. And uh, the minister was saying, well, you know, I mean, we have a, the, the, the board has, is appointed and there's, you know, public interest of representatives and there's worker representatives and there's, and there's employer representatives and, and it's equal and balanced and they come up with these, these decisions objectively. And, uh, and I said, well, how can you possibly say they're worker representatives when as the minister of labor, you fundamentally refuse as a matter of policy to speak to the president of the Federation of Labor. 
which you may not know that. But the Ministry of Labor refuses to speak to the president of the Alberta's Federation of Labor. And he said, well, I don't need you. I talk to you. It's the same thing. Or something like that. Some offhand, silly, dismissive comment. And just to put that in context, okay, when you're the Minister of Labor, your job is to manage the relationship between employers and labor unions and workers who need to work together but also who have opposing interests. And that's why you have a Minister of Labor and that's why you have a labor system in order to structure how they negotiate their opposing interests. And the Minister of Labor is theoretically neutral. But this one can't be bothered to even speak to one of the parties. That's akin to a Minister of Education refusing to speak to nurses. Or sorry, the Minister of Health refusing to speak to nurses. They're a stakeholder. The labor unions are a stakeholder. But in this province, this government refuses to speak to certain stakeholders because of their partisan relationships and in, a method, in, a, in an effort to intimidate those uh, organizations out of partisan activity. That's wrong. That's got to change. And so knowing that the Conservatives are the most partisan group in the province, those of us who have clear political ideas and views about how you want to go forward need to make that partisan connection between your objectives and your vote because that's how you bring about change. And now I'm being told that I've spoken for too long and I'm only two-thirds of the way through my talk. So uh, perhaps we can go talk about some of the solutions um, after we have lunch in the course of our um, question and answer. Is that what I should do? Yeah, okay. So uh, thank you for listening to me on the first part of my rant. Uh, I appreciate it. And um, uh, I hope we have a lovely lunch, and uh, I look forward to having a good discussion after lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you.